0: So speaking of jail ministry, one of the main things that excites me about the jail ministry is the hearts of the inmates. The hearts of the inmates. Uh, These inmates have soft and tender hearts that are ready to hear the gospel. I would go so far to say the inmates, for the most part, a lot of them, have softer hearts than those that are walking around free in Orange County. And think about that. People behind bars have softer and more tender hearts than people that are walking around free in Orange County. Because guess what? Their situation, they can't deny that they've done something bad. They've done something bad in their life to put them behind bars. And that's where we all must get. We must understand that we're not good people. We're not uh, perfect people that we are in tune we, as well as they are bad people. We're all bad people. Every person that walks the face of this earth is a bad person. And it requires us to get there and come to grips with that to start. Because when we get there, then only then does the full gospel make sense. The problem, many times in our life, is not the effectiveness of the gospel, but it's our lack of understanding of the full gospel. The full gospel. It's the reason you have a low view of God. And when you sin, it's not a big deal because there's a lack of understanding of the full gospel. It's the reason you don't see the big deal when people say God's grace, God's mercy. You think, okay, what's the big deal? You don't understand the full gospel. It's the reason that Your gospel presentation oftentimes is not effective, humanly speaking, because you're not presenting the full gospel. It's the same reason that if you're a non-Christian, you can sit in a room like this or in a weekend service and hear the gospel over and over and over and over again, and you still haven't surrendered your life to Christ because you don't understand the full gospel, you're missing the most important part, the most important part of the beginning. The most important part of the beginning is you and I have a big problem. We have a huge problem. And without us understanding that problem, honestly, the gospel in Christianity is no more than another religion amongst many. It's no more than just another religion unless we understand the big problem. And honestly, it's not even a good option if this is all that there is. If this is all that we're living for, there's a whole bunch of other religions that you can probably be better off in this life. Unless you understand the full gospel, the big problem that you and I have. A cardiologist, we would all say, is important, yes? Yes. You would all say, yeah, it's important, but it's not that big of a deal to you unless you were having a heart attack right now. Then guess what? That cardiologist becomes a necessity. That cardiologist becomes urgently important. You need a cardiologist more than you need a dentist, more than you need anything else. You need somebody that knows how to work on the heart. For us to truly understand the power and the good news aspect of the gospel, we must first come to grips that you and I, we all start off as part of the bad news. There's a bad news that involves all of us at one point in time, and if you're not a believer, it still involves you today, but we must come to grips with that in order to fully understand the grace and the mercy of the good news of the gospel. And what I love about Paul all throughout Scripture is that's how he explains the gospel. He starts off with the bad news. He starts off with the scary part. He starts off with what you and I don't oftentimes first throw out when we're presenting the gospel. That we're dead in our trespasses. That we're deemed for hell. That we deserve nothing but punishment eternally. He starts off with that, and he sets that up because then he can get to what makes God so powerful, what makes God so good, what makes God so gracious and merciful because of how bad off we are. I mean, he does this all throughout Scripture. Just jot these down. I won't read through them, but this is good for you to study and just see the pattern that Paul has. Titus 3, 3 through 5. Colossians 1. 21 through 22, in Romans 1:18. all in those passages, he starts off with the bad, who we are apart from Christ, who we are as soon as we take our first breath, who every person is that walks the face of this earth, and he does it in our passage as well, and so if you're not there already, let's go ahead and open up to Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. We finished up chapter 1. and chapter 1, Paul tells us about God's eternal plan. From eternity past, how he's already predestined us, right? He has chosen people for his purpose so that he may get the glory. He talks about the eternal plan for salvation, He talks about the eternal plan from beginning all the way into glory. But then in chapters 2 and 3, he breaks down how that plan is going to be executed. And he says this starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. you And if you studied that passage this week, then you understand that there's a split there, that some commentators will say that he's talking about the Gentiles again. And you, he's separating himself, saying the Gentiles. Well, I don't necessarily think he's doing that here. He does that throughout the passage, but I think he's just talking to his audience. So he said, and you, audience that is reading this letter, were dead in the trespasses and sin. Paroptoma is the the Greek word for trespasses, and then hamartia is the Greek word for sins. And those are two synonymous words. And again, you get commentators that are split in that. It's like, is he trying to say trespasses are different than sins? I don't think so. I think he's just using two synonymous words, stacking them on top of each other to understand that wherever you land with this, you're in rebellion to God. You're apart from God in your approach. You're sinful. You're going away from God in what you're doing. But then he goes to that word in the middle that I I hopped over, but that's the biggest word that I want to focus on. And you were dead. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, I was reminded um, a few weeks ago one of the ways that God sanctifies me. You want to know what that is? By knocking off my Wi Fi network. That drives me nuts. It, it does. Like I, I, That's one thing where he's just he's working on me right there because anger pops up, uh, self-control pops up. I mean, I, I about want to flip over some tables when I start seeing that little spinny thing come on the screen, that little spinning ball of death. Drives me crazy, right? My whole network was knocked off, uh, and I needed to call AT&T. I needed to get them out there to fix it. And of course, what even drives me up a wall even more is when you have no network connection, but then you call customer service, and then they ask dumb questions like, did you unplug it? Yeah, I unplugged it. Did you wait 10 seconds? I waited 30 seconds. How about that? All "Right?" Can you help me today? We'll send somebody out tomorrow. Okay. All right. So now I have to wait. "Right?" And so this whole time, I, 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 I'm not, I can't do much. I have these trees around my house, and so I don't get a lot of cellular connection. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, there's no connection there. There's no connection. I can scroll up and down the Wi-Fi option. My connection point, my network does not show up. There's no connection there. I couldn't do anything without that connection. Well, when we are apart from Christ, when we do not have Christ, when we are not saved, when we are not in Christ, we too have no connection with God. We have no connection with God. We are not connected to God's network. At all. We are dead in our trespasses and sin with no connection to God. And we need to realize that, that apart from Christ, we have no connection to God. And that's our first point this morning. Realize without Christ, you have no connection to God. No connection to God. Right? Sometimes on those those movies, you'll see people go to the cemetery and they sit there on a chair and they're talking to their deceased loved ones. Guess who's not talking back? The dead person. They're not talking back because there's no connection. Right? There, there, there's a name that you're familiar with. There's a person that you might ha- ha- think you still have connection with, but there's no connection there because they're dead. Right? And just like a dead corpse doesn't have connection with a living person, a dead spirit does not have connection with a living God. does not have connection. You, 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 you might know how to do some religious things, Right? You might be doing some spiritual things, but if there's no regeneration in your life, if there's no life within your spiritual state, then you have no connection with God. Again, we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about spiritual death. You have no connection with God. That sounds harsh. Well, I'll show you a great example, prayer. Prayer is a great example of the lack of connection that you have with God apart from Christ. Because based on Scripture, what Scripture tells us, if you are not in Christ, yeah, you can pray all you want. And oftentimes when people get into troubled situations, they say, oh, I need to pray. Well, if you don't have Christ, you have no connection to God. God has no obligation to answer your prayers. It's not obligated to do so. John 9.31, I'll prove that to you. John 9.31 says this. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. He does not listen to sinners. So somebody that is apart from Christ, somebody that is seeking to do their own will, someone that is seeking to glorify themselves, God's not obligated to listen to them. Somebody who is not living their life for Christ... There is no obligation there. You can pray, you can do religious things, but there's no obligation, there's no connection for you to pray to God and him say he's going to answer your prayers. He never promised that. You lack that connection because you do not have Christ. Here's what he says about people in Christ, people that love him, people that have that connection. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's talking to believers that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So he said, if, 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 if you are a believer, if you have Christ, then we know that he's going to answer our prayers. Is he going to answer it in every way you think he's going to answer it? No, according to his will. But there's a promise that God will answer the prayers of the saints. God will answer the prayers of those who are in Christ. There is a connection that believers have with God the Father, that he will answer prayers, and he's promised that in his word. Without Christ, you don't have that connection. Here's another verse that gets thrown out there oftentimes in a general standpoint, but I want to give us better understanding of it. Romans 8.28. Right, Romans 8.28. We hear that all the time. All things will work together for the good. All things will work together for the good. Right, God's in control of this. Not if you're not connected to God. That doesn't work out good for you. Right, you might have some some, ups, some, some highs in life. But ultimately, it does not work out for your good if you are not connected to God. Because you have to read that entire verse, right? You have to say, and we know that for those who love God, that's the the first part. For those who love God, then he gets to it, all things work together for good. And then he doubles down on it on the back end. For those who are called according to his purpose, right? So for those who love God and those that are called according to his purpose, All things work together for good. They do. All things work together for good. But you must love God and must be called according to his purpose. That's not for everybody. If you have no connection to God, that doesn't apply to you. We need to realize that without Christ, there's a lack of connection to God. You do not have the connection to God that the Bible speaks about apart from Christ. That was you and I. That may be some of you today if you are still not in Christ. You may be here. You may be coming to church on weekends. You may feel some good things. You may feel some spiritual things, but there is no true connection to God apart from Christ. We need to understand that this this disconnection began way back in Genesis. Whether you're, you're, you're personally trying to understand this Whether you're trying to personally convince yourself that, hey, I'm a decent person. I don't care what Pastor Kellen said. I feel like I'm a decent person. It, it, It started way before you. Whether you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you need to have the person that you're sharing the gospel with understand, yeah, you are a bad person. But guess what? It started way before you. It started with the first man, Adam. It started in Genesis 2. When God told Adam, look, you can eat from any tree, any tree in the garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any tree. But the second that you eat from this tree of knowledge and good and evil, you're dead. Right? Death shows up. You become dead. And, of course, we know the story. They ate from the tree, and they surely died, as the Bible says, spiritual death. Not a physical death. There was a spiritual death that was placed upon them for the rest of mankind. And so you and I are born into sin. We need to understand that it started from the beginning. So if you even think that you had a good life, you think you're on a good streak right now, that has nothing to do with it. You deserve death because we were born into sin. We start off dead. We're not connected to God. And since we're not connected to God from birth, That leaves us with only one other option in regards to where we stand. And Paul tells us that back in our passage. Back to our passage, Ephesians 2, picking up in verse 2. And I'll just read from the beginning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. Right? Again, his audience, he's saying, in which you once walked. Everybody walked. Everybody lived. Everybody was a part of this. He's not saying, hey, 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 the really bad people, you guys that are that are thieves, you guys that are that are that are set apart in a bad way. I'm talk, he's talking to everybody in which you all once walked, following the course of this world, right? Following our culture, following worldliness, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, right? That's Satan's henchmen. That's anybody that's, that's opposing God, those are the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. We all once lived there. Nobody was born righteous. We were all there. If you're apart from Christ, you're still there. On whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Guys, there's no neutral ground is what this passage is telling us. You're either on Christ's team or you're on Satan's team. All right, we've conditioned ourselves to think that, you know what, because I'm coming to church, because I'm reading my Bible, because I'm praying, I may not have surrendered my life to Christ, but I got to be on, 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 that, on a neutral team. I got to be somewhere in the middle. I'm not as bad as the person that's, that's sitting in jail, that's killing somebody, or that, that, that's constantly uh, uh, lusting and constantly seeking pornography or constantly cheating on his wife. I'm not that guy. I got to be somewhere in the middle. The Bible doesn't split it up. You're either on Christ's team or you're on Satan's team. Those are one of the two options that we have. Well, I'm almost there. I feel like I'm there. I feel like I, 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 I'm almost in Christ. I, I just, I need a little bit more time. You're on Satan's team. You're on Satan's team. There's only two teams, either on Christ's team or Satan's team. And we need to realize that, and that's point number two this morning. Realize that without Christ, you are on Satan's team. Realize that without Christ, you are on Satan's team. If you are not a Christian, here's the thing. You are on Satan's team. Here's what you need to understand because you might feel like, hey, I I feel like I'm okay. You can be a bad player on Satan's team. You can be a bad player on Satan's team, meaning you can be a weak link. You may not be somebody that's doing the vilest things out there. But the fact of the matter is you still have that jersey on. You might have some some good days in your life, some some holy days from from a a humanly uh, external standpoint, but you're still wearing that jersey. And if you're a Christian here this morning, this should show you the power and love that God has. That he knew you were on this team. You deserve to be on this Satan's team. And because of his grace and mercy, he took you off of this team and placed you on his team. Why? Because you look good or you did something good? No. By his grace and mercy. He did that. Because he's going to use you for his will. According to his purposes. There's three main players that we see in this passage that keeps unbelievers on Satan's team. The world, right? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the world, Satan, and then our flesh. There's the three. Those three are are sort of the, the, the team captains of Satan's team. They're doing everything that they can to keep you on Satan's team, to keep you blinded from seeing the good news of the gospel. And they're working hard to do that. And they all are working in their own unique ways, right? The world, Romans 12, 2 tells us, that do not be conformed to this world, right? They're working to conform you to this world. The world is constantly working to conform you. That's the, 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 the enemy force that's working to keep you on Satan's team, to conform you to everything that's going on in this culture. As the culture changes, you change. As things around you adapt, you adapt because you're you're more worried about fitting in than being set apart for holiness. Classic example: you guys got work events. You go to work events instead of saying, "Hey, I'm going to set myself apart by being something that is a light, that is salt, that is different than everybody else." You know what? I'll, I'll just have I'll just have some drinks and get drunk like everybody else. Cause you know what? I got to get this promotion. So I'm going to follow what the rest of the world does. I'm going to follow what the culture is doing. I'm going to follow what the people around me are doing because I want to fit in. That's the world. That's when we follow the course of the world. We follow what everybody else is doing so we're not set apart. Right? We see many guys throughout, throughout the culture, they have unwholesome talk. It's all about pride. It's all about power. Well, guess what? I want, I want a little bit of that too. So instead of being meek and gentle as, as Christ tells me to do, I want to follow the course of the world because it seems like that's working out for the guys that are more powerful. They're egotistic. They they seem to be getting all the promotion. So I'm just going to do what they do. Following the course of the world. Nowadays, you look at most 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 jobs on LinkedIn. It's it's uh, it's, it, it's Ed over here, and Ed is a a they them them. What what? <laughs> I'm gonna follow the course of the world. I'll go ahead and start putting those gender-neutral pronouns on my label, too, just so I don't stand out, just so I don't get in trouble, just so I don't get fired from my job. I'm going to follow the course of the world because I care more about fitting in than I do standing up for Christ. Following the course of the world. Where's the world going? Here's where the world is going. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. If you can flip there, flip there quickly, but if not, just listen. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. This is where the world is going, but understand this. In the last days, which we're in, of godliness, but denying its power. He tells us to avoid such people. Right? That's the forecast. That's what's happening right now. I came across this quote in my study. Thought it was great. You want to know how to recognize the ways of the world? Here it is. You can recognize the ways of this world wherever sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. Let me repeat that. You can recognize the ways of this world. You want to know where they are? Think about our time right now. Wherever sin seems acceptable and righteousness seems strange. When you do things that the Bible tells you to do, you look like the oddball. That's where the world is going. That's where we are today. The world is one of those captains on Satan's team. The player coach is Satan himself, right? We know about Satan. He's the father of lies, John eight forty four tells us. His whole MO is just like Paul is telling people, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Satan is trying to get people to imitate him, right? He was the first one that rebelled, the first fallen angel, and he's trying to get disciples to fall just like he did. He's trying to get disciples to disobey just like he does. That's his whole MO. So if he can get more and more people to rebel and disobey, you don't need to be some flagrant rebellious person, but I just need you to to focus more on yourself than focusing on God. If he can get you to do that, he's got you on his team, and that's exactly how he wants you to play. The world, Satan, the last one, our flesh, our flesh, our flesh is one of those powerful forces on Satan's team that keeps us there. The desires that we have. Not just any desires, right? Because there can be some desires that we humanly have or as men that are good. I'm talking about the sinful desires. When those desires become idols, when those desires become the only thing that we focus on, we center our life around. That's what we're talking about those sinful passions of the flesh. That's what Pastor Mike was talking about last weekend. Like, right? He used that, that term, we're like we're magnets. Right? Or, or, or we're, we're being pulled towards a magnet. We're being pulled towards our fleshly desires constantly. My uh, youngest is eight months now, and he's, he's crawling around. And that dude can move. I don't know what genes he got, but he can move as a, somebody that's just crawling. And so he'll sit there, and as of a couple of weeks ago, you sit him down, and he's stationary. I can walk back. I can come, and he's right there. And now I walk back, i turn my head, and he's gone uh, somewhere else. But he's moving now. He's on the move. And you know where he's going? He has one or two options. I've already figured this out about him. The dog food or plug outlets. <laughs> That's the thing. He got a whole bunch of toys over here, man, whatever. That's too easy. I want to go towards this thing because I know this gets everybody riled up in the house when I go this way. They get excited for me, so I'm going to go and get them excited for me. Right? That's what he does. And I know he's going there. And already, already at eight months, I can tell him, Caleb, stop. Caleb, Caleb, Caleb. And he'll go, 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 and then he'll stop. And then he'll just smile, and then he'll sit there for a little bit. And then it's like he can't help himself. He's like, I got to go back. I don't know if you were clapping for me or got excited, but I'll do it again. Right? He, he keeps going back there. It's in his nature to do. He's a sinner. Guess what? Just like dad is a sinner. He keeps going back to the thing he knows he's not supposed to do because it's just in his nature. That's what he does. You and I keep going back to sin, whether you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. It's just in our nature. We keep going back to sin, and then we get in God's Word, and we get a brother that comes around us, and we we, we pray about it, and we, we straighten up for a little bit, just like he does, but then we naturally drift back because it is in our nature to do. It's the passion of our flesh. That's what we want. We want to go to that plug. We want to go to the dog food, right? We want whatever those passions are in your life, and if you're not paying attention to it, you naturally drift right back to those passions of your life. And Satan uses that in a powerful way to keep you on his team. Romans 8.8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, you cannot please God. Apart from Christ, without Christ, We're not just on Satan's team. We're enslaved on his team. We're in bondage on his team. You're stuck there apart from Christ rescuing you, calling for a big trade taking you off of that team and placing you on his team. To realize apart from Christ we're on Satan's team. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he, he further expounds on that. There's no neutral ground. I, I just want to make that clear. There's no neutral ground. No neutral ground. There, there's no in-between. There's no, hey, God's going to round up for me because I, I, I was on my way. I felt like I was doing some holy thing. There's no neutral ground. You're on Satan's team or you're on Christ's team. Not, you're, you're seeking self-glorification or you've surrendered your life to Christ and you're living for him. One of the two options. And right? you can externally be doing a whole bunch of stuff, but the, the internal is what matters. Where is your heart at? Is it on Satan's team? Is it about you? Or is it all about Christ? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul says this. He, he, he separates it this way. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, right, the an- unbeliever, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. All right, don't, don't convince yourself that, uh, I, I, I guess because I'm associated with the church, I guess because I read the Bible, I read the DBR like everybody else, or I, I, I pray, I, I feel like I'm associated with, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul's telling them, you were right there. I don't think you're better than anybody else because you were right there. But here's what happened. Three things happened. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Only by God's grace. Only by God's grace did you get rescued off of enslavement being on Satan's team. what should this understanding that we all used to be on Satan's team do for us? I mean, it should give us compassion for those that are still there. Compassion for those that are still there. You should have an ongoing pursuit of those that are on Satan's team in your life. It can be family members, it can be friends, it can be neighbors, co-workers. You should have ongoing prayer that God, through his grace and mercy, would save them, pull them off the enslavement of Satan's team, and place them on his team for eternity. Ongoing prayer. Because you understand the bad news. You understand the bad part of the gospel that comes first. We were all dead in our trespasses. And sin. You understand that. If you understand that rightly, right, rightfully, you're gonna constantly be praying for those that are still on Satan's team, not thinking, God saved me, I'm good. No, because we shouldn't want anyone on Satan's team. The other thing you're going to do, you should be jumping on outreach opportunities. When I talk about the jail ministry, when I talk about evangelism ministry, when we have all of these things, these, these functions within our church to go out and outreach and share the good news of the gospel with people, you should say, hey, sign me up. Sign me up, because I know I used to be on that team, and I got a testimony. I got a story to tell about how I used to be on that team, but God, but God, who was rich in mercy, allowed me to have eyes to see him. I got to go share that with somebody. Guys, we should be chomping at the bits to get involved in these opportunities where we can go. Share the good news of the gospel, the full gospel. Help everybody understand where they currently are and help everybody understand where they need to be. Only through Christ. All of those. Outreach opportunity. Missions night. We got missionaries here. We should be praying for the effectiveness of the missionaries that we have here and that we are involved with at our church. All missionaries, not just ours, all missionaries. And get involved. Last part of our passage, Ephesians 2 3. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like Paul's telling Ephesians, look, you, you were part of this. Again, it goes all the way back to the beginning. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every person walking the face of this earth needs a confrontation, needs to have the gospel needs to have a savior. Every person, because we were all by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Some of the things that uh, my dog does—it's an Australian Shepherd—and he just does some unique things that dogs do. Right? Somebody comes to the door, he starts barking at the door. I didn't have to take him to bark school. I didn't have to teach him how to. He does that on his own. Right? Nobody taught him to do that. He just does that. He does that. If my kids do it, we got a problem, right? But he does it. That's just what he does. Right? He does this thing when he goes out and takes a poop. After he's done, he kicks up some grass. I don't know what that's all about. It's not helping the situation at all. You want to help? Clean it up. Don't put more grass on it. That's just what he does. I didn't have to get him to train to do that. Nobody had to teach him how to do that. That's just what all dogs do. I don't get it, but that's just what they do. He's an Australian shepherd, so he's a, he's a herding dog. You put a, a group of kids around him, guess what he starts to do? He gets in his zone, right? He starts running around these kids and barking and nipping at their heels because he, he has to keep them corralled. I never took him to shepherding school. I never taught him how to do that. I didn't show him any YouTube clips of how to do that. That's just what he does because he's a herding dog but that's in his nature. That's who he is. You and I need to understand that sin is in our nature. That's just what we do. And we gravitate towards that naturally without even thinking about it. It's just our instincts to sin. And we do that without any care of anything until we are regenerated. When we become that new creation in Christ, we start to have the spirit in us that tells us, don't do that, don't do that, that was bad, you need to repent. That We still have that nature, but then we have regeneration through the spirit that helps us. Paul tells us, therefore, just as sin came into the world in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. We all have a sin nature. The theological term is depravity. We have a guilty nature. We have a sin nature. We can't help ourselves. Some people think like, oh, I got smarter and I, I, I chose God out of my own will and my own knowledge and my own. We cannot choose God apart from him drawing us to him. We're depraved. Depravity. It's not in our nature. We cannot do that apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, apart from God drawing us to him. We're depraved. We are By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, which John 3.36 helps us understand that. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. Another theological term there, condemnation. We're condemned. Without Christ... We are condemned. If life ends today, you are condemned. Right? Condemned. Eternal punishment. Eternal judgment. Eternal destruction. Sum that up. We're doomed. We're doomed apart from Christ. Realizing and understanding the bad news first. Where we all stand. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, we're enslaved on Satan's team, and we're headed for destruction. That's the bad news. That's what you and I need to understand first, and that's point number three for us is you need to realize without Christ, your end is destruction. Your end is destruction. That's the end of the road. God, being a just God, has to punish sin. He just can't say, all right, you tried hard, that's good enough. He has to punish sin. And without Christ, you take the punishment for that sin. You hear people say all the time, well, I, I, I like the God of the, the New Testament. God of the New Testament seems nice. Like the God of the Old Testament, He has some anger. Right? He's wiping people out. Let me help you understand. Who God is because he's the same God yesterday that he is today that he's gonna to be tomorrow. Nothing's changed about God. Paul tells us that in Romans 2, 4 through 8. Romans 2, 4 through 8, he says this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's the reason he's kind. That's the reason he has the appearance of, oh. He seems like he's nicer because he's trying to be patient and lead you towards repentance. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Righteous judgment. It's not a uh, he flew off the handle and he's angry, it's righteous judgment. We all deserve this because we've rebelled against him. So his judgment is righteous, destruction is righteous. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Look, I get this sermon is, is a hard one to grasp. And it should be. This may not wind up on your PK's top five sermon list. That's fine. What I want you all to understand is there's bad news that has to start with every presentation of the good news. People, you and I, everyone that needs to hear it, needs to understand where we are apart from Christ. Let's not get to, you know, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he was resurrected and through him we can have eternal life. That's great and that's true, but most people are going to say, cool. Every one of us, you and I need to understand, here's where we are, dead in the trespasses of our sins, destined for wrath on Satan's team if you have not surrendered your life to Christ. And let me just lean in a little bit more here. There are some sitting here this morning that have not surrendered their life to Christ. You have not surrendered your life to Christ. Let me just plead with you for a second. Understand there's one or two teams. I get you might be here in Bible study. I get you might be coming to weekend services. I get you might be feeling like you're doing the the right thing. But if you have not surrendered your life to Christ, if you're not sure of your testimony, if you're not sure that you are in Christ, you are on Satan's team. You're on Satan's team. And here's what Hebrews 10.31 tells us. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. It's a fearful thing. And understand that you and I are walking on thin ice every day of our life. Non-Christian, you're walking on thin ice. And what I mean by thin ice is that ice is going to break apart when you least expect it. That ice can break apart on your way to work this morning. I throw out that stat a lot, 155,000 people die every single day on average. Today could be you. And if you continue to go on saying, I got time, or it doesn't feel like the right time, or "I, I just need to get a better understanding, that ice could break apart and you could suffer eternal destruction apart from God. And I want that to sit in because I don't want that for any of you. I love each and every one of you men. And I want nothing more for all of you than to be able to walk out of here saying, I know my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know it's secure. I've surrendered my life to him. I see fruit in my life. I understand what it means, repentance and faith. And I'm not playing around with it. Look, if you've got questions about it, ask your lead, talk to your leader. But I'll tell you right now, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't need to wait on a special day. You don't need to say a, a special prayer. You don't need to, to, to be dressed up the right way. You need to confess with your mouth that God is Lord. You're not Lord, that God is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and that from this day forward, you are going to obey him. He's going to be the Lord of your life. Repentance, right? Put your faith in the fact that he came, he lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross for your sins. He didn't just stay dead, but he defeated death by resurrecting on the third day, and he ascended to heaven. You put your faith in that, that Jesus paid for your sins, you will be saved. That's it but let's not play around with the timing on this because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Every day you walk out of service, every day you walk out of a, a, a sermon like this or any other sermon and you say, you know what, I'll wait for tomorrow. You know what that's called? Rebellion. That's called rebellion. Cuz here's what we read the other day in Hebrews 3:15. Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. As in rebellion. Because today is the day of salvation if you are not in Christ. I'm saying that because I love you. And I don't want you to leave and say, ah, I had that opportunity. I should have. Surrender your life to Christ today. I remember sitting in this room myself as a non-believer, Sitting at men's Bible study. That's why I love this ministry so much because I, God took me through this full circle and praise God that he had patience while I was making my knucklehead decisions thinking I was running my life. Right? Sitting in here as an, a non-believer, coming in here, taking notes on my laptop, reading the Bible, doing all of those things. But guess what? As soon as I hit the door and I got to work, it was about me. It was about money and it was about titles. And God, through his grace and kindness and patience with me allowed me to finally see that all of this that I was doing, I wasn't playing anybody. I was playing myself. But God knew the whole time. And he finally, after hearing the gospel over and over again and seeing godly men around me, finally made me realize the bad news. That's what it took. It made me realize that I was part of the bad news. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was on Satan's team. I was headed for destruction. And it came to a point where repentance and faith happened through men's Bible study for me. And he saved me. And so I say all of that again, speaking to you for a second here, non-believers, If you haven't bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, do that today, men. Do not let another day go past because guess what? Tomorrow is not promised. And I know you think, oh, that's just cliche. It's cliche until it happens. And you realize like a thief in the night, your life is over. Amazing grace, one of the most popular hymns, of course. But you know what makes grace so amazing? There's three words in that song that I believe that make it so amazing. Right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Wretch, lost, and blind. Those are the bad news. That's the bad news. That was all of us. If you're apart from Christ, that is you right now. Wretch, lost, and blind. But the good news, what makes grace so amazing is that God stepped in. God intervened. God did something about that. Because we had to realize that we're part of the bad news. The gospel is an amazing story. The complete gospel is. But in order for us to fully understand the gospel, the full gospel, you and I need to realize the bad news first. Where we're headed. If you're a non-Christian, as I said, surrender your life today. Do not let this day go by. Please, 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 please do not let this day go by. Have a conversation with your leaders. Talk to me in the back. Make sure that your testimony is sure, that you have assurance in Christ. It's not worth saying, I'll I'll give it another day until I figure it out. All right, and if you are a Christian, you have to let the bad news of who we once were drive you to be more zealous for Christ. It should drive you to be more zealous for Christ. It should drive you to get involved in outreach. It should drive you to pray for the the lost every single day. It should drive you to be on fire for Christ. In his mission of saving souls, why? Because you remember through his grace and mercy where he brought you from. Because you were part of that bad news, but only by God's grace you're saved on his team today. Let's pray. God, thank you for the bad news that we need to understand and come to grips with before we can fully realize the good news how gracious, how loving, how powerful, how merciful you are. Lord, I pray that we would think hard about that. Lord, if there are any non-Christians in this room, which just by, just by numbers, I imagine that there are, I pray that they would bow to knee of Jesus today, that there would be a conversation about uh, repentance and faith and making sure that that happens today before we leave this building, knowing that tomorrow is not promised. So, Lord, allow us to be on fire more because we understand where you brought us from. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.